Hello. So, oh, there we go. We're on. Um, it's, it's, I really enjoy what we're doing at the moment um, in Cornerstone with having a, a, a team of different people bringing the word at different times and uh, obviously led by Josh as our preaching pastor. But it's, uh, it's just great to hear from different people and to hear um, different, um, different perspectives, I suppose, because uh, we are all different and uh, we all come from different places. But what an amazing wealth of people who can preach we have at this church. It's unbelievable. You know, there's, it's, it's any church would be blessed to have one or two. Um, it's great to have a real team. And uh, we've been hearing the last few weeks uh, from Josh and Dwayne uh, about the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. This series on God's kingdom is terrific. It's a great theme to look at. What does it mean uh, to live as part of God's kingdom? Because it's such a, a strange thing to try to get our head around the fact that we are in the world, but we're not of it. You know, we're part of the country, you know, the, the um, Federation of States that is Australia, um, and yet we're part of another kingdom too. And having two kingdoms going alongside each other, it can sometimes be a bit confusing to know how to live um, in both kingdoms at the same time. But it's been fantastic, and I've really appreciated uh, what's been said in the last couple of weeks about the, the reversal of values, the fact that God's kingdom is just so different from the world around us, and uh, we are all products of our culture. And every, there's no culture that's a particularly godly culture except the kingdom of God itself. There's no worldly uh, nation that has a culture that's entirely Christian. Every culture has aspects of it that need to be challenged. Um, and, and, and really, um, the aspect of our culture, Western culture, that needs to be challenged are those values. And as Josh said to us last week, um, you know, in the world's kingdom at the top of that uh, triangle is power, prestige, wealth and honour. Uh, and yet at the top of God's kingdom is humility and service. What a difference. You know, people think if you want to be successful, if you want to get somewhere and make a real impact, you've got to have power, you've got to have wealth, you've got to have prestige. How are we going to fund this? You know, how are we going to get our profile up there? But God's kingdom says something quite opposite. It says, no, it's about service. It's about humility. Um, and it's about having God do those things. And there are so many passages in Jesus' teaching that talk about this, isn't it? You know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Be the servant and turn around. Um, if you um, be first, be the servant. Uh, um, and God, uh, the world considers weak and foolish to shame the strong and the wise. Um, but that, you know, d d do we really believe that? It's really hard sometimes to get our head around that and to really see that in our weakness, um, that's where God's strength is particularly known. So this week I want to continue on by sharing with you a couple of short parables, probably the shortest parables, I suppose, and they, they go together. I did think at one stage I was going to do four short parables, but uh, I got to the end of two and realised that was definitely 20 minutes, so I thought we'd better stop there. Um, but these these two parables have always been uh, the two of my favourites, I suppose. They're, they're simple in some way and yet profound in others. The parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great, great value went out and sold all that he had um, and bought it. Now these two short parables um, that we're looking at today are also... They're, they're about what we value, and that's what this, um, the, the, the contrast between the kingdoms is about, what is really valuable, what is really at the top. Um, and, and these sort of say specifically, I think, something about the value of belonging to the kingdom and also about the cost of, of the kingdom as well too, the cost of belonging. 
And I want to reflect on that a bit today. I want to share a story with you. Um, you might remember a dispute that um, happened here in the, throughout the, the, the papers and the media in Queensland in recent times about a, um, some workers at a construction site who dug up a treasure. You might remember it was a whole lot of money. It was almost $500,000. And you can see by the type of notes and so on there that um, at the time it was buried, it would have been worth even more. And there was quite a dispute about who owned that treasure. It went through the courts. And in fact, I think the result, which only came out reasonably recently, was actually suppressed, so we don't know exactly who, um, who who actually got that money. But there was a dispute between the construction workers, uh, the actual owner of the site, um, and then there was the the son of the previous owner came forward as well too and claimed, no, my father, you know, he buried he buried that there and and so on. So there was quite a, a three-way dispute. This is the actual owner. Josh was a bit worried. I was going to say something about fishing. Uh, that might come up a bit later, but uh, the actual owner um, of the actu of the site. Um, but it's, it was an unusual thing, I suppose, because generally these days when we have money, uh, large amounts of money like that, we don't bury it in the ground. Uh, but back in, in Jesus' time, that was a much more common practice. Uh, there were no banks. Uh, people buried money for safekeeping uh, so that people couldn't find it. And it was the case um, that if a field was you were the new owner, when you that you field, you were entitled, you were entitled to anything. Um, maybe somebody died and, and they hadn't gotten around to telling anyone that they'd buried a whole lot of money in that particular field. And if that field was sold, well, lucky dip, you know, you happened to get a field where there was a treasure and that treasure belonged to you, whatever the price of the field had originally been. But this parable, these parables of Jesus are not so much about property rights. Um, it's about finding something so valuable that you would sell everything you had to obtain that incredibly valuable item. And the, the first parable, or the second parable too, about the pearls uh, is similar. The merchant has a similar, it has a similar message. One exquisite pearl um, that is so valuable, the merchant sells the rest of his pearls to purchase that one. Now, I don't know if any of you are collectors. Is there anyone that collects anything here? I don't know if you're a collector. I used to be a collector of these, funnily enough, Phantom Comics. So if a lot of things about me you probably don't know. Um, in fact, when I finished working at Scripture Union and I was in my mid-30s and I sort of, uh, sort of spent a little bit of time reflecting on my financial situation, I realising that it was reasonably um, insecure compared to my peers, um, I, you know, I, I was trying to work out what my greatest assets was. And I, you know, I had about $10,000 in the bank, I had a car, I had a VCR, and then there was my Phantom Comic collection, which was uh, at that time about 700 comics. So I'm, I'm a serious collector, but I'm obsessive. You've got to understand me. Uh, when I get into something, I really get into it. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting thing. Uh, when I was a child, it started when my mother gave me some of the fandom comics that had been from her childhood. And uh, I had a friend who was teaching out at Cloncurry for a while, and I, uh, at one stage he got into the Phantom. It became quite a retro sort of thing back in the, the late 1970s, early 1980s. And uh, I sent him, I said, oh, I've got some Phantom comics, and I sent him the Phantom comics that I'd had, and my mother was furious at me um, because you don't give things away in my family. But also what I didn't realise was that those early Phantom comics actually worth a lot of money, you know. They actually were worth a lot. When I did eventually sell my um, collection, I don't know, I just I tried everything I could, but it never sort of made me a lot of money, so it wasn't in the end a great investment. But that's the story of my ability to, um, to invest financially. I never seemed to get the rights. Um, it's very dangerous. Um, um, we'll just go back to the wording of them, actually, so that you've got them there in front of you. What these parables are saying is that when you find the kingdom of heaven, when you, uh, and, and for some of us, you know, you've, you've been brought up in a Christian family and you've always had God there in your life to some extent or another. 
Um, and I, it's different. I mean, for someone like me, I, I, that wasn't my story. Uh, my story was that uh, my family were nominally Christian, as was common in those days when I was young. Um, you know, went to church. My father had been very involved in a Presbyterian youth group in his growing up years. My mother, not so much. Um, but, but, you know, uh, we went to church um, every Sunday just as a matter of course, as a matter of what you did. But, w- you know, when, so for me, becoming a Christian was quite a, you know, a, a confronting thing. Um, and, but if you're brought up in a Christian family, it might be a little bit different. But when you um, find the kingdom of heaven, you truly understand the enormity of what that means to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, um, to, to see what Christ has done for us, to see the difference that that makes. Um, it, is, it is absolutely mind-blowing. And you do come to that point of realizing, actually, I would give up anything to be a part of this, to get a part of this. Um, and it's easy when you've been a Christian for a while to almost lose a bit of a sense of that, isn't it? You know, and it, it can be a, a, da- a dangerous thing. The thing that brought me to the kingdom of God um, and, and brought me to faith in Christ was um, existential anxiety, okay? And uh, it's funny, I'm dealing with a, a, a girl at school who's it's one of the first I've come across exactly the same thing. It's this deep sense of what on earth are we here for? She's only 15, uh, and that's how old I was too. But, you know, for her, it's manifesting in significant anxiety. And, um, but it's, it's, you know, what are we here for? You know, you, um, uh, you, know, you get up, you, you sort of get your education, um, you, you, you get married, you have children. I missed that bit. Uh, they grow up, you get, and then, you, you know, they marry an education, they grow up about. They get married, they have children. And for me, what is it all about? You know, the kingdom of heaven was such, you know, meeting Jesus was such a huge thing and such a confronting thing. And it was an answer to that deep um, hunger and dissatisfaction that I had uh, inside. But it's so easy to forget the wonder of that. We all need new Christians in our lives, don't we, to remind us of that enthusiasm. I remember a girl when I was working at Scripture Union who, she was an exchange student and uh, she came on one of our camps. And in, in those days, in the early 1980s, she was extremely radical. She had a nose ring. Ooh. and her hair was pink you know it was like woo, and she just seemed like someone who was right out there who was so culturally avant-garde or whatever that um whoa but you know the gospel reached her in her limited english she was from the netherlands um and it, the gospel reached her and she became a christian on this camp and i remember her coming to me she had absolutely no background i remember when she prayed she prayed in Dutch, and I, you know, just hoping, you know, when she became a Christian, she said, "Do you mind if I pray in Dutch? I don't really have much English." And I said, "Go for your life, you know, God understands any language." So I don't know quite what she said, but anyway, um, a few a few weeks later, uh, she visited me in my office at Scripture Union, and uh, it was it, she just sat there with tears running down her face, and she said, "I walk through the streets, and everything looks different." It was just amazing, and it just reminded me at the time of just how glorious it is you know when you've come out of darkness into light and what a what an amazing thing it is we all need to be reminded of that this extraordinary thing this 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 treasure this pearl of in immense immeasurable value that is worth giving up anything and everything for and it is a challenge you know whether we really uh, still have that um that sense of that and it's one of the strangest paradoxes of God's kingdom, and this is a really difficult one to communicate to people sometimes too, and a hard one to get your own head around. The strange paradox, one of the strange paradoxes of God's kingdom, is that it costs you nothing to belong. It costs you nothing, but at the same time it costs you everything. Isn't that interesting kind of a paradox? And that's what these parables, uh, you know, they're, they're talking here about all the rest of it. You know, that merchant's son, all the rest of it, cost you nothing to get that one. At the same time it costs you nothing. And it's... it's um, 
I suppose it's expressed to it, the nothing part of it is expressed beautifully by Paul in Ephesians. You know, it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith, not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift so that no one can boast about it. And in a, in a, a society where, you know, nothing is for free, you know, <laughs> we, we know that nothing is for free generally, the way our society works, it is an extraordinary thing to get our head around the fact that we can do nothing to improve our status before God that Christ has done everything. When we come back and we recognize our status before God and how, how morally and spiritually poor we are uh, without Christ, then I guess we start to understand it a bit more. But this incredible relief that actually this is a completely free gift, nothing we can add to it, to Jesus' work on the cross. His work on the cross has redeemed us. It has brought us back. It has paid the price for our sin. Uh, nothing we can do except to turn to God. And I'm reminded of the parable of the prodigal son, you know, a young man who is in a state uh, of absolute desperation at the other ends of the earth who had abandoned his family. And all he had to do, he, he thought about it and he thought about it, thinking about it wasn't enough. He had to actually turn and come back to his family, didn't he? And that's, that's all that we have to do is turn and come back in humility. At the same time, though, it also costs us everything. It's, it's almost like... Um, you know, I heard someone say this once, it's like God says, you know, reach into your pocket, whatever you've got, that's what it costs you, that's the cost of this thing, whatever's in your wallet, that's the price of this thing, we sort of think of fixed prices and so on, but it, it's, it costs you everything at the same time that it costs you nothing. God asks us to hand over to him everything in our life, every aspect of our lives. The land, both the land purchaser and the merchant had to sell everything they owned to get that field or to get that pearl, but if you'd known you know, the treasure that was buried there, you'd do it. You know, you'd absolutely do it. Um, if it cost you everything to get a hold of that very, very special treasure. Uh, so you can see this really is a paradox. It costs you nothing and it costs you everything. And I think it's, our, I'm sure it's one of the greatest uh, challenges to our Westerns and culture. Um, and it's that Jesus says, and history certainly person to enter the kingdom of heaven, because they have more to give up, don't they? It's much easier for a poor person, a person who's desperate, in a sense, to enter the kingdom of heaven. The challenge is a rich person. Uh, and I suppose that's the space I find myself in when I'm sharing the gospel these days to people who are used to having what they want. Life is pretty comfortable. You know, it's all about having the fanciest birthday cakes and fanciest parties and most expensive champagne and, and whatever else like that. Uh, this idea of something costing you everything is very costly. Um, and in our society, we are very comfortable. And this idea of giving up everything, uh, if necessary, to enter the kingdom of heaven, the parable of the rich young ruler, uh, certainly um, is an example of that. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, and even though what we're giving up is nothing, it's rubbish compared to what we're gaining, isn't it? You know, it, it's just as soon as you think about it, you know, what have what we given up really? Uh, it's just earthly stuff. We're here for 80 years, whatever, um, and we're talking about eternity. We gain eternity. Really, it's nothing when we stop and reflect on it, and yet it still can be a difficult, a difficult thing. So I've um, chosen this parable today. I, I suppose part of my choosing of these parables is that they, it, they always challenge me personally when I look to how I might apply it to my own life. And I encourage us today to reflect for ourselves on what God might be saying to us uh, in these parables and to ask the hard question, you know, what might God ask us to give up, to sell, to get rid of uh, in our lives? And I suppose for every one of us, what God is asking us to give up, the thing that's the leveller, I suppose, is, um, here's a red alert, big word coming, self-efficacy. Um, okay, God is asking us to give up control of our own lives. Um, there's a little 
um, skit we do often on, on the camps that I'm involved in, or not, well, often, regularly, occasionally, um, where we, we look at you know, somebody driving a car and we ask the question, where is Jesus um, in your car, in the car? And uh, you know, you're in the driving seat and it's your life. Um, is Jesus in the back seat and you're sort of crunch ignoring him? And, or is he um, in the front seat, getting closer, but really still you putting hold of the wheel? getting out and putting Jesus, sharing with a wheel nine borders at one stage and one of them just very casually said oh he's in the boot in my car <laughs> so I've, uh, I've, I've chatted to her a bit about that and, 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 and had a, a bit of a laugh about it but also talked about what that might actually mean but uh, yeah so it's, it's that control of our lives all of us have to hand over the wheel to God and what does that mean what does that look like do we really do that do we really put that in God's hand and say God I'll lead you wherever um, wherever you want me to go and I'm, I'm guessing that um, for, for, for people like Jamie and Ray, the new venture they're about to launch out on, that this is the sort of thinking that you've had to make too. You know, it's like, wow, it's a whole new direction. Um, am I trusting God that this is what he wants me to do? And all of us have those moments in our lives. Are we ready at any time uh, to do that? I, at this point, I actually quite like, um, yeah, the, the Muslim concept of, of their religion is it's all about submission to the will of God. And there's a sense in which I can, I can, I can buy into that. Um, you know, I think that's, that's very true. It's, a, it's about submission to the will of God. That's what our lives. So what is it that God might be asking us to give up? Because we have a lot compared to most people in the world, compared to most people in history. I think there are certain givens. And for all of us, there are sinful patterns in our life. And all of us may struggle with those. Um, pornography, life-controlling substances, uh, illicit sexual behavior, gossip time wasters i know that's a big one for me and i fall into that trap quite regularly um maybe we're not uh in as much in the habit of telling the truth as we should be we actually are pretty good at deceiving other people maybe it's a bad temper that again people don't always see there might be some things that are what i would call sinful patterns that god challenges us to give up and there's no question he wants us to give those things over to him and to be healed of those things however what he asks us to give up might be things that are it's a lot more subtle. They're things that really aren't, um, you know, necessarily bad in themselves. But perhaps it is wealth and possessions, like the rich young ruler, and that was an amazing conversation Jesus had with that young man. Um, I think when it comes to money, because we are so wealthy here, in how much how much am I giving away? But how much am I keeping for myself? You know, our money is one of the greatest resources we have to offer the world here in the West. I think. Uh, I remember a few years ago, our Christian Blind Mission CBM um, had an interesting kind of a fundraising thing which was you know be part of a miracle help, you know help help make a blind person see and it was ridiculous it, it you know for a hundred dollars you could help six people get their sight back that's incredible a hundred bucks you know it doesn't take me that long to spend that much on coffee these days you know it's it's like wow i can i can help a whole bunch of people see you know a life transforming experience and i've got the power to do that so our, our wealth and our possessions for us as western christians is, a, is, a, is an area of cultural blindness that I'm constantly challenged about, you know, about what I'm, what I'm doing with my money. And as I said, someone once said to me, you know, perhaps it's not so much how much you're giving away, but how much you're keeping for yourself. I remember a guy that um, was the father of a friend of mine as I was growing up in Scripture Union circles and a godly man who was an elder in his church. And he, um, you know, the church had set the salary of their pastor and he was a businessman who did well. Um, lives in a nice suburb and so on and he made it his business that whatever salary they set the pastor at that's what he would keep for himself of his own salary and the rest would need to be given away and that was quite a discipline wasn't it 
you know, I don't think you guys get paid huge amounts of money, but, uh, you know, it was, it was what a lovely way of thinking about things. The third, uh, the third thing I suppose that God may be challenging us about are just our selfish priorities. And unfortunately, well, unfortunately, this can be anything, can't it? You know, there are so many things in our lives, and I've got my cup of, co- cup of coffee in there. Um, you know, there are so many things in our lives that are just selfish priorities. They're not bad. Shopping, travelling, so we love travelling, don't we? I'm road about to go on three months long service leave, have a couple of big road trips, coffee, sport, the gym, the way of a career. It could be something that we might, that God might be calling us to give up for the sake of his kingdom. And these are difficult questions, and they're not, it's, it's very different for each one of us. But there's different things there. You know, there's the sinful patterns, as I said, that really, there's no reason not to give up. But there's, then there's wealth and possessions and our selfish priorities, which aren't bad things. But it's just a matter of keeping them uh, in, in, in balance, I suppose. And I often ask myself, I was chatting to a friend the other day again about this, um, what does it look like these days in the 21st century to be fully committed to Christ? What does that actually look like, you know? Do you have to be obsessively, that's the only thing you talk about, that's the only thing you do? Um, or th- th- then you're so weird that people don't want to talk to you, so they don't talk to you anymore. You know, it's, it's really tricky. So how much do you involve yourself in the world and the culture around, um, and how much do you um, say, no, I'm actually going to um, let go of those things, uh, and I am going to be different? Because all of those things, they're not bad, but they may be bad for us personally, keeping us from spending time with God. How do we know if we've got a problem with any of those, those kind of things up there? Um, the first one is, how would you feel about giving them up? I did get quite antsy on Anzac Day when there was no coffee shop open um, near me. Um, I remember Josh talking once about giving up coffee for Lent, and you know that, that that's sort of a ooh, that's a challenging thought. Ooh, that many days, okay. Um, how would you feel about giving that up if someone asked you to give it up? That might tell you something about how important it is to you. Do you ever resent what you see as the lifestyles of the kingdom? Uh, you know, of the, king, of, of the kingdom around us. So I think of the older brother in the prodigal son story, you know, d- he, he resented the fact that he'd lived a good life. He'd resented the fact that he'd lived a life and he'd lived a life being loyal to his family, you know, and he looked at this younger brother who'd gone off and had such a baffle time, spent all the money and you know, now he was being welcomed back. Was ang- and he was angry, you know, that, that concept, the older brother was angry. Do we um, ever resent to have that kind of soul with resentment? Uh, always, everything I have is yours. You know, we, we need to get our... P- our head sorted out on those kind of things. What really mattered was relationship with the father and the younger son had come to realise that. You know, do you, in your, the things that occupy your day, do you have time to pray and read the Bible um, enough? What's enough? <laughs> um, do you have time to pray and read the Bible or is that sort of squeezed into a little corner of the day? And the last one I think that's a good telling point is are you maintaining your spiritual zeal? You know, how much does it matter to you? You know, how much... Do we look around or have we sort of lost that a bit? We've been blunted a bit, like I'm a bit over that now. I'm, I've done my bit, you know, I can relax. And no, you know, it's like, it's that sort of, that sort of focusness, isn't it, on the kingdom of God. Because when we get to the end of our lives, what really matters, and one of my other favourite passages that Jesus reads, and I'll wind up here because we're running out of time, um, is, you know, don't store up for yourself riches here on earth where moths and rust destroy. Yeah, the band might like to pop up at this point. Um, and robbers break in and steal. Instead, store up riches for yourselves in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Robbers cannot break in and steal for your heart will always be where your riches are. What matters when we get to the end of our lives? What matters? You know, all that matters are, I think, the relationship we've built with God and how we've helped other people to come to that same relationship because that is what is, is going to last. That's the treasure in heaven. You know, what is our purpose? To enjoy life? 
to build a home and a family, to look after the planet, those things are all very important. But alongside all of that are Jesus' final words, to go out, to share the good news, to make disciples, to teach them to obey his teachings. That's the treasure in heaven. Come it's that's the treasure in heaven. So as we come to commit a life, remember the example of Jesus. We led a life fully focused on his purpose and on God's kingdom. But he ate and drank and he laughed with his disciples and did those everyday things too. We have to do that. Um, but remember, as I said, God's kingdom costs us both nothing and everything. And the bread and the wine remind us of his ultimate sacrifice and submission. The sacrifice that means our salvation is indeed free. But as we come to share it today, why don't we offer back to Jesus those things, uh, that good or bad in our lives, that might be preventing us from embracing fully the purposes, those things that are the pearls we have to give up to get that finer pearl. Let us share together uh, in, the, in the communion as we remember his body broken, his blood shed for us. Thank you, Ben.